So Money Episode 591, Sarah LaFleur, founder and CEO of MM LaFleur. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. From negative 2000 in her bank account to generating a projected $75 million in sales this year. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is entrepreneur Sarah LaFleur, sharing her trials, her tribulations, and tips for living your best financial life. Sarah is the founder of M.M. LaFleur, a new women's fashion brand that CNBC says is shaking up retail. She began the company in 2011 after quitting her job in private equity. With $35,000 in savings and another $35,000 in loans, she launched what would become one of fashion's hottest new clothing lines for professional women. Sarah and I go deep on the show. She talks about the side hustle that helped her bank account stay afloat in those early days of starting her company, the early hardships of launching M.M. LaFleur. She says, I felt like I had ruined my resume. And the time she was certain the company was going bankrupt, and then her idea that turned everything around. Here is Sarah LaFleur. Sarah LaFleur, welcome to So Money. What are you wearing right now? Um, wow. Okay. I'm wearing one of our newest knit jackets. We actually call this a jardigan because it's somewhere between a, a jacket and a cardigan. <laughs> um, and the Nakamura pants, which is named after uh, one of my co-founders. Very, very loose, easy pants. It's a Thursday. So I feel like it's it's nearing the end of the week and I need to wear something easy. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I'm not wearing anything as put together as you. I'm wearing <laughs> yoga pants. The athleisure trend oh my is gosh, huge. The right? joys of freelance. The and, joys of freelance. Well, yes, yeah. the joys of freelance. But you know, transi- this transitions us into your business, which is defying the odds, you know, in some ways, because right now what's trending in fashion and retail for women is the athleisure look. A lot of us are freelancing, we're working from home, or frankly, sure. we work at Google and there really is a, a anything goes dress code. Yeah. So tell us where M.M. Lafleur fits into this world, this new ecosystem of fashion. I love that hard hard hitting questions. Well, you know what we what we tell our investors who often think, and I'll, I'll tell you, usually the first question that we get from our investors uh, who are very often male is, "Good for you! You found a real niche industry for yourself." And you know, I say to I say to them, "You think this is a niche industry? Professional women is a niche industry. You are you are mistaken." And um, when one factoid that we like to give is, so our customers, um, American women, who on average make 100k and up, uh, that's actually only 16 million of, of the U.S. population. But uh, so that's that's five percent of America. But if you think about the actual amount of money that they're spending on fashion every year. It's between four and six thousand dollars, and the majority of that is actually apparel. So you could say, all right, all right, they're not going to spend their entire six thousand dollar budget on work clothes, but chances are they're spending a significant amount of that on what they're wearing Monday through Friday, seventy percent of their waking hours. 
And of course, a lot of these women, you know, they, they might be freelancing, they might be even working in, in a more casual environment like Google or Facebook. But what we've always seen is that the women tend to dress up a little more than the men. And wearing jeans and a hoodie and flip flops, uh, but a lot of the, the more senior women that we've gotten to know in the tech industry, they're coming to work there. They're wearing jeans, but they might throw on a jacket on the top. Um, they, they tend to want to dress up for the occasion. I'm not saying all women are like that, but I think a lot of women feel like they want to be taken seriously and they want to feeling like their best self. But, um, I think there's something in the power of costume and what you throw on can really impact the way you're feeling that day. Yes. At the same time, though, I think, and you know this, these women, like you and I, we there isn't enough time in the day to really put together that perfect outfit every single day. And so what yeah. has differentiated your fashion company and something that you kind of pivoted to to leverage is helping women sort of get dressed quicker. <laughs> and, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, so tell us that's about... That's totally right. And, and this was something that came to you as sort of an aha moment and in the bento box was born. So tell us about the bento box service and how that has, I heard it tripled the volume of your orders. That's crazy. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, um, so I think the other myth that we're always fighting against, um, coming up against with a lot of male investors again, is that this myth that all women love to shop. And I think that that's a, that's a big mistake. There's some categories that women would love to shop for. Like, I think women love thinking about, you know, their next travel destination or I, what they might wear to a fancy party. But the majority of shopping that women have to do, whether it's finding a seamless bra or a pair of black slacks, that's not shopping that a lot of women love to do. And so that's where we come in. We launched our bento model. I think we're coming up on three, two and a half years now. But uh, you come to our site, you take a survey. And based on the survey results, our stylist put together a box of clothes for you that we think will work best in your closet. Um, you know, our philosophy isn't that more is better. We say that you should really only have 10 outfits and, and that's all you need. But let's help you curate the best 10 outfits possible. So even for, you know, the woman who needs a lot of business formal clothing or the woman who's dressed more casually, we're saying, you know, the, the problems that you have are the same. Every morning you look in your closet and you feel like you have nothing to wear. Well, let us come in and fix that problem for you. So that, that's how MN LeFleur fits into a lot of women's lives. Let's talk about your personal journey to starting this business and getting more of your personal finance take on life. And I understand that you started this company about six years ago and you did it with um, money that you had saved and a loan from your parents, totally yep. about altogether, totally about $70,000. How did you know that was enough financial runway for you? You know, you had a, a great life as a consultant, I'm sure making more than that annually. So you were going to really have to bootstrap this. How did you know you had enough to, to really make it, make it a go? Um, the truth is I didn't. And, and I like to say that everything I know about money, I learned when I was 27. That was the year that I quit my private equity job. Uh, and decided that this is what I was going to do. Um, and you know, when I was working at this private equity firm, I, in many ways, I thought this was my dream job. I was making six figures. Uh, I was getting to fly, a, you know, private. Not not because I was chartering it, but I would tag along with my boss to fly private almost weekly to Paris uh, and work on these these big deals that were really really exciting. And then I quickly went from that to making no money. Uh, I, 
I should have known, but I didn't quite realize how quickly health insurance would stop. Uh, and then I actually had some problems signing up for Cobra. So there was, there was this really scary period where I thought I was going to be without health insurance. Um, and then actually my now husband and I became domestic partners because I needed health insurance. And so it was, I, I went very quickly from feeling very comfortable and knowing exactly where my, my next paycheck was coming from to um, putting all of my savings that I had into this business that I believed in and, and feeling like I wasn't quite sure whether I could make ends meet. So that was a really trying moment. How did you get through it? What were some of the ways that you stayed focused? Because your business, I understand, faced headwinds like a lot of startups do. So not only yeah. were you kind of starting from scratch and financially starting from scratch, but you're also your your concept it wasn't flourishing right away as you had probably hoped or imagined. No, not at all. I had you know, I didn't pay myself, I think, for the first two and a half years. I think the first paycheck I took was towards the towards the middle of twenty thirteen. Um, and I started this uh, April of 2011. So, so it really was a good two years. And I tutored actually on the side. Um, that's kind of a piece of advice I give to every single person who's thinking of leaving their job to start a startup. And, and I think a lot of the mistakes that people make when they think they want to start a startup is, well, I have to save X thousand dollars before I leave. And what I say to them is, look, living in New York or, or wherever, whichever city you may be in is expensive. And the chances of you being able to save up that kind of money in a short amount of period is, is, is close to none. So don't put that pressure on yourself, but, but do go find a side gig. And I think, again, you know, I, I, I went to an Ivy League school, then I went into management building, and then I went into private equity. And like on, on paper, I had this kind of high, highbrow, like white collar career or white, white, white shoe career, I should say. And, and it, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I guess I should just say like, maybe I like looked down, you know, I thought it would be, I would be too good to bartend or work as a barista or be a dog walker. But that, that's actually exactly, you know, what, what ended up happening. I, I ended up tutoring actually a bunch of fifth graders um, and that's how I made ends meet. And so I made, I, you know, I made a good amount of money. I probably made about $4,000 a month from tutoring. Wow. Um, salary. Yeah. it was a, it was a salary, but I was tutoring almost every day from five to 8 PM. And that meant that I could dedicate, you know, nine to 5 PM. And that's what, that's, those were the hours that I need to keep open because I need to go in and out of the factories and the garment district. Those were their hours. So it wasn't like I could, you know, go in the evening after, after my full-time job, it was really important that I had those hours open. Um, and, and so that's really how I made ends meet, um, in the beginning. I love this story. I love, I didn't know this about you. I feel like I, yeah. I, I poured through a lot of content about your company <laughs> and you, and this is like the gems that we like to un, uncover on this show that you yeah. had a side gig tutoring, you know, Sarah LaFleur, Harvard grad worked at Bain and, you know, and like, but yet, you know, I I had a master's and I and I bird sat. So yes, exactly. You know what? And, <laughs> you, and totally, I feel totally. you. I feel yeah, you. You're right. And the money it's was good. Whatever. Yeah, the money was good. And and I mean, the notion of all cash all cash is green is I, I really embraced that. Um, I was I was I wasn't too good for anything. Um, my husband was kind of in a similar boat. 
a few years back when he decided that he wanted to be a, you know, a writer with a capital W and he started dog running. Um, and again, you know, Harvard grad now, now a dog walker, like going from apartment building to apartment building, handing out flyers to the doormen. Um, and it just, it really ingrained the idea in me that there are all sorts of ways to make money and having a nine to five job is not the only way. So you say you learned everything about money at age 27, but I feel like you must have had some exposure, some good exposure as a child. You named this company after your mother. Yes. <laughs> your mom. Um, what did you learn about money as a child that necessarily informed you as an adult and helped you as an adult? Sure. I mean, okay. So my mother is Japanese, um, which probably kind of, you know, just I'll start there. And I think the Japanese in general tend to be very conservative about their, their money and their spending. And I would say they are some of the hardest working people on the planet. I think they are, they work the longest hours of, um, any advanced country. And so, uh, that like put that kind of puts it into context and um the family motto passed on by my great great grandparents were those who don't work do not eat so you can kind of <laughs> see the, the asian ethic you know that was that lived strong in our family and so i, I think I, I was in the very fortunate position of not having to um worry about you know whether i was going to eat that day my parents were were well off um but I think this idea of you, you have a job at home, you have chores to do. Um, and I think when I was 18, I'm actually, you know, when I was in, when I was in high school, my parents were like, okay, it's time for you to now get a summer job. And so I started, I started doing summer jobs pretty early. And this idea of, um, you need to be a contributor to this family. You need to, you need to make money. That was, that was very much there from the beginning. And I think my mother actually, you know, it sounds when I, when I say this, it all sounds like very, kind of stern and harsh, but my mother had a way of really making it glamorous. I think that's what I, I loved and I, and, and I continue to love most about her. You know, she was a working mom throughout my childhood and in Japan, I, I was born in Paris, but I, I was raised primarily in Japan and for Japanese women, especially back in the eighties, that was really rare. I mean, I think I remember in kindergarten, I was the only one, um, uh, whose mom, didn't come to pick her up at kindergarten. And when I was four or five years old, I, I like didn't really understand that. I didn't love that. But as I grew older, I, I, I learned to really value it. And my, and my mom loved her career, still loves her career. She's still working. She's 70 years old and she has um, her own business that she runs, but you know, she, her work is her passion. And I think she just really made it something to aspire to. I just, I couldn't wait to get my, my first job. Um, even at like the tender age of 12, I just thought it was going to be the coolest thing on the planet. There definitely is a correlation between entrepreneurs and working as a young kid and wanting to work and, and really enjoying the work. Um, yeah. Feeling accountable to something, getting that paycheck really feels good. I felt that way. Certainly. Yeah. So was it always your, the goal? Pa- your parents were entrepreneurs? Well, no, but they were immigrants and yes, um, yeah. same yeah, immigrant ta- spirit. Yeah. yeah, that work ethic. Um, and I think I got to see how money led to empowerment. You know, my parents, mm. the more they made, they were, the more they were able to find better neighborhoods to live in, to send us to better public schools, and we would be able to take the vacation. So I, sure. I saw how money led to a, a more experiential life, a more, um, you know, a healthier life in some ways. Yes. So yes. It, it made me excited to, to make my own first, 
you know, 10 cents or whatever it was. That totally. I for totally. Hostessing I know, job. I, I hear you. I think it's, it's the freedom that money buys and you see that kind of happening in front of your eyes and you're like, wow, this, this could be cool. This yes. could be amazing. Yeah. Yes. So was the goal always to start a business? You mentioned your mother's an entrepreneur. So was that something that you just always anticipated? Oh gosh, no, actually not at all. So my mother is a little bit of a black sheep in the family. She's the only businesswoman, I think, in our family. Everyone else works uh, is a is a civil servant or works in government. Um, and I actually thought that that's what I was going to do. You know, my dad was actually he was a diplomat. He worked for the State Department. He's American, and I always thought I was going to follow in his footsteps. Uh, I wanted to go work for the United Nations. I wanted to go do refugee work, um, and that's what I studied primarily in college. I spent some time working in a refugee camp in Zambia. That's that's what my heart was set on. I never in a million years thought I would be working in fashion. I, I actually remember, I think when I was like 26, I was going through this um, crisis of uh, the crisis of your 20s, which is like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And I made a spreadsheet and charted maybe 10 potential career paths and fashion and starting a, a, a new job or starting my own company was nowhere on that list. So it it just goes to show you how much life can change in the matter of a year. What was the rock bottom moment for for your for your sort of uh, journey as an entrepreneur? I mean, there must have been a time where you were like, this is not working. (laughs) Yeah. Every day. (laughs) I miss the paycheck. I miss my health benefits. Cobra, I can't even get signed on. I can't get onboarded. What's going on? Um take us to that moment and how you worked your way through that. Well, I'll tell you, the first year was quite dark. Um, I think, you know, mental health and entrepreneurship is something that doesn't really get talked about all that much. I, I think people are starting to talk about it, but that first year, man, it was it was really tough. I I don't consider myself, um, you know, that emotionally vulnerable, and yet that year I probably was crying on a daily basis. Um, things were. Things never seemed to be going right. And I think I, I felt that I had truly uh, ruined my resume. I had I had worked hard towards something and I decided to kind of take this leap and, and do this. And I I just didn't know if I was swimming in the right direction. Um I like I say that often starting starting a company is like it's like you push off from an island and you're 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 starting to swim towards this faraway island, but you look up and you realize it would be so much easier to just swim back from the island you came from rather than to keep swimming because frankly you don't even know where you are relative to that that island you want to get to so i just i had so many moments like that in that first year when i was um really off working on my own i i eventually brought on two co-founders miyako and nuri um miyako came on about 6 months uh later and then nuri a year later but gosh that first year was so isolating and so that i would say is by far the, the hardest time i've experienced starting this company um the other one is uh, uh, that that comes to mind is when when a round of funding that i thought was going to happen fell through at the last minute and i was so certain we were going to go bankrupt uh i think i, I could just you know I, I was at Bain, so I could I could do the financial modeling. I mean, you don't even need to do the financial modeling to see that you are you are losing money uh, that or you're spending money faster than you're making. And I just I was counting on this round of funding to come through, and I'd gone through maybe four months of negotiations, 
And it, it seemed like all but a done deal. And then in the very last moment, it fell through. And, and that was really one of the most crushing moments because I just thought this thing that I had worked hard on at that point for about, for about three, three and a half years was, was all going to be for nothing. So, so what happened? Why didn't the money come through? And then how did you stay afloat? Uh, why didn't the money come through? I still don't know the real reason. You know, I think I still remember the call, um, the, the investor called me and they said, um, look, we're, you know, the, the, the main person who was, who had to make the decision, they just, they just can't get a good feeling in their gut. And so that, that was all they said. Um, and, and it could have been 10 million things. I think often people aren't quite transparent with one, you know, reason or another why they decide not to invest. And, and, and so they, they walked away and I just knew it was done. It wasn't like I couldn't, I, I wasn't going to be able to get them back to the negotiating table. And what do we do? Actually, what happened around that time, uh, was we, we did, we did a couple of pop-ups. We did our, actually our first, a very first pop-up in New York, which went incredibly well and almost to all of our surprise. And everyone said, you know, pop-ups are expensive. You don't actually make a lot of money in pop-ups, but we made more money in in those 10 days of doing that pop-up than we really ever had. And I think for me, because up until that point we had been, we had been doing most of our business uh, online to actually see customers try our clothes on in person and, and see their smiles. And, and we had this one customer who had purchased 10 dresses. Um, we never seen uh, a customer purchase so many in one go, but she was like, these dresses are amazing. I'll take them all. Uh, and it just, that was really, that was a confidence building moment that we were doing something different. And so we barely made it to be clear. I think our bank accounts actually were in the negatives at some point. I did not know your bank account could go into the negatives, but you know, Chase, <laughs> Chase, Chase let you overdraft. I think it was like, we were negative 2000 at some oh my point. Gosh. Yeah. It was scary times. Um, but, but somehow we were able to claw our way, way back from that. So I assume your bank account has more than negative 2000 now. <laughs> The company I yeah. read is um, on track to make tens of millions of dollars this year. Yeah. Um, what does that mean for you, your financial status? I mean, that's that's a definitely a nice headline, and and it's great. It's a great accomplishment. You're you're obviously making money. People, it's a testament to the value and the need for a company like yours. But as the CEO, as the founder, how does that change your financial life? Um. Well. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely easier. You know, I, I used to, I mean, I was, I was going from paycheck to paycheck, uh, it just barely and, um, really leaning on my then boyfriend now husband. I mean, not a lot because he was a writer. So it's not like he was take, making a ton of money at all either. But, um, I think that's also the truth about entrepreneurship that a lot of people don't talk about is, um, if you have a partner, it, it, it can be easier, um, especially if you have the right one who is supportive, um, both financially and emotionally. So, that, but I, I would say now, you know, I'm obviously able to support myself and, and then some. So it, it definitely has changed, um, and I'm I'm very conscious of that. I, again, I I say everything I know about money I, I learned when I was 27 because I honestly was so scared. I think at that point. Um, you know, I talked a lot about mental health, but I, I wasn't in a, a mentally good place. So I had, I was seeing the psychiatrist who I still see and being able to have her and be able to pay her was so important at the same time. I wasn't making any money. And and now, um, 
I don't have to worry about that, but I, I will never forget that time. So I'm, I'm much, much more careful with my money now than I was when I was you know, 26 and working in private equity. What's a habit that you practice, Sarah, to help you keep better track of your money? I mean, is there something that you, is there an app? Is there a practice? Is there something that you do that really helps? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't, I haven't done the apps. I think I did mint once and, and, Unfortunately, a little bit unsuccessfully, it just, you know, it didn't really work for me. And I ended up, because I love my Excel spreadsheets, what I, what my husband and I will do um, at the end of every month is actually just download all of our credit card um, and debit card spending and then throw it into an Excel spreadsheet and make our own profit and loss statement. It sounds very as nerdy, Harvard but, business students would do. Uh, I know. Yeah. Was it the Harvard just Business School clear, or just Harvard? Yeah, it's just under, Harvard undergrad. I never went to business school. Oh, whatever um, then. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. HBS is uh, flat out rejected me. So, um, no, <laughs> oh, you did apply. No, I did. I did apply. Um, and they rejected never, you. They must they be did. regretting it now. They are regretting it now. Oh, my now. gosh. Yeah, no. One day, one, one day, HBS will regret it. And I'm giving you an honorary sure they could degree. Care, <laughs> they could care less. But, um, yeah, no, never made it to business school. I, my parents like to say, uh, you know, the $35,000 they lent me, which, which later became, it, it turned into a convertible note. So now, now it's their investment, but they were like, that was our business school tuition. That's what we paid for. So, <laughs> um, so what's next for you? You know, you can tell us anything, maybe not even just what's happening with the business, but personally, you know, now you have some wiggle room, some financial freedom. And I know the work isn't getting any less, uh, are, you know, um, difficult. So tell us what you hope for in the coming months in the year. Yeah. You know, it, it is still heads down, really trying to grow the business. So we will hopefully do around 75 million this year. We have you know, big aspirations to do even more uh, than that. We'd love to, we'd love to double the business and, and, you know, the funny thing is, um, it, it is emotionally easier than when I was a team of one. I think partly that's because I, I like working in teams, but uh, the responsibility in some way, way feels much greater because we have about 170 employees right now. Um, I, wow. I really care about them. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a lot and, and we, I really care about them deeply. So it does it does hit me that, you know, those are 170 families that we are, we are supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the pressure is definitely on. Um, and, and I think when I think about my life, um, I am 33 right now. I think my husband and I are, Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm my, my PR person. Last time I said I was 32 and she was like, no, you're 33. And so I'm, I'm forgetting how old I am. <laughs> That's when you know you're having fun. You forget how old you are. Yeah, right. Well, we're having, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, we just got a puppy, um, which has Aww. been like this incredible. I, it's I sound like a crazy person, but it's been this incredible blessing. Like I, I do, I am really enjoying taking care of another being in our life, lives because I feel like also like the past six years, the only thing I worried about was myself. So um, I. I really like to take care of, I love, I love taking care of, um, my puppy, obviously, you know, I love having this life with my husband and I'm really thinking about how we can look after our employees, um, just in the coming years ahead. Well, a pet is always a good training grounds for a human. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's what everyone says, especially the first night when I didn't realize that puppies have a tiny bladder and they have to pee uh, every, yeah, all the, all the time. 
And the first night he got up four times in the course of five hours. And I was like, Oh my God, I did not realize what I was signing up for. Wow. Um, Yeah. Because you know, we don't, I mean, you don't have like pet, you don't have pet leave the way you might have like maternity leave or paternity leave. Right. Right. So maybe if you work at Facebook, Cheryl Sandberg's doing all sorts of great stuff there. She is. She is. I know. So I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, I probably should have just had a baby, but no, instead I have a puppy. Oh, well, Sarah, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I love getting a little uh, look inside your, your life and your mind. And I'm glad you're getting the help that you need. It's so important. You're raising some really, some really important uh, issues, I think, for not just entrepreneurs, but I think you know life's tough these days for a lot of us, and we're not talking about it. We're not getting the help that we need, and you know it's good to have role models like you. Thank you. Yeah, I think the connection between um, your financial independence and mental health is often overlooked, and people think, oh, that homeless person is that crazy homeless person that you see in the subway is crazy because he's homeless. And actually, no, he yeah. was probably mentally ill and that's why he became homeless. And and that's something that I feel like more people should be talking about. Yeah. Sarah, thank you very much and congratulations. Thank hope, you. Hope you hit that 75 mil this year. Thank you very much. Yes. Wish us luck. We'll need it. Thanks again to my guest, Sarah LaFleur. If you'd like to learn more about the business, go to mmlafleur.com and Sarah is on Twitter at mmlafleur. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com. There you can download the transcript, listen to the audio, and also leave us your question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Just click on Ask Farnoosh at the top right and either leave a voicemail or type in your question and I will add it most certainly to the queue. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money.